Welcome to the Legacy Podcast. My name is Greg Louie. I'm the Ski Physical Therapist, and today I'm excited to introduce our guest, Jenny Milton. Jenny tore her ACL last year and is currently in the process of rehabbing so she can get back to downhill skiing, ski touring, and kite skiing. She's a full-time kite skiing coach and has her mind set on kite skiing across the entire country of Greenland. Listen to this episode where she talks about the rehab process, what kite skiing is, and how she plans to accomplish this amazing feat. All right. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the Legacy Podcast. Super excited to have you on today. Would you just do me a favor and let the listeners know who you are and kind of what you do and what brings you on the podcast today? Hey, Greg, the Ski PT. Great to be here with you. Thanks for having me on your podcast. My name is Jenny Milton. I'm from Australia, but many people know me as Adrenogen. I got that nickname, golly, over 20 years ago, and it's just stuck because I'm into adrenaline sports like skiing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, Jen has been skiing almost her whole life. She kind of grew up in a family that um, went to the mountain and her family was in the industry as well. And Jen and I have been working together with her ACL rehab, but I wanted to bring her on today to talk about her ACL rehab, but then also to talk about this really cool thing called snow kiting that I had no clue what it was prior to talking to Jen. But yeah, Jen, can you just give the listeners a little backstory into like what snow kiting is and how did you get into that? Yeah, I would love to. Snow kiting or kite skiing, as you may know it as, is definitely my passion and my sport these days. But it started off with being a skier. I'm so grateful that I got to ski from from when I was a little girl. My family was into skiing in the wintertime in Australia. And then in the summertime when there was no snow, my dad was a sailor. And so I got to learn how to sail on the local lake and then into bigger waterways like Sydney Harbour and eventually out at sea. And so when I discovered that you could fly a kite with your skis on and put the two sports together, essentially it's like sailing on snow. I was amazed. And so I had to figure out how to learn to do that. And uh, back then, the, the best way was to go and have a lesson and make sure that you were taught step by step with a very safe progression. And I traveled to Maui to learn how to kiteboard on water. There was nowhere teaching on snow back then. And so I just utilized the best instructors I could find at the time to teach me the kite skills that I needed. Now at the time, had snow kiting been a thing or is this kind of like a new revelation where people were kind of taking the idea of kite surfing and then bringing it to snow? How did you kind of get introduced to that area? Yeah, well, I think that I hadn't really gotten the concept of snow kiting in my head. I'd never seen any pictures of anybody doing it. But how it worked out was that I was a super passionate skier and I decided for my 30th birthday I would have an overseas trip and I would go heli skiing in Alaska the first time and then I would go to Maui and have that kiteboarding lesson I was just talking about. And so when I arrived up in Alaska, I had a kite with me, but I didn't know how to use it. And with talking with some of the heli ski guides, there was a guy named Steve Shum, who was a, a windsurfer, and he loved going out every summer and, and windsurfing in the waves. And he had a couple of trainer kites with him. And so when we made the connection that we were both into wind sports and I had a kite with me, we decided we would go out there and try flying our kites with our snowboard on. <laughs> oh, wow. That is, that's, Crazy idea to think about, but 
honestly, it's very similar to, I guess, what you would do on water, doing it on snow. Can you talk about what are some of the biggest differences? Obviously, there's the hot and cold doing it on snow versus on water for the most part. But what are some of the biggest differences in like kiteboarding or kite skiing compared to wakeboarding? What do they call that? Wake, kite, kite wakeboarding? (laughs) (laughs) They call it kiteboarding in wake style. They have a wake style. And those are, uh, I have some great girlfriends who are champions in the US for wake style and they ride rails and and on their twin tip boards with the kite. Now, the difference between them is, is one, you're using skis and snowboard on your feet, right? Also, tele skis work as well. Whereas on water, are using a twin tip board that looks like a wakeboard, or you're using a surfboard, which is my favorite. It's actually, believe it or not, easier to learn how to fly a kite on snow because you're not sinking in the water. So I am a, a kite instructor in both kiteboarding in the water and also on snow. And I love teaching people on snow because the progression is so fast that people get to do it on their first day. They will learn to fly a kite, they will learn the three basic manoeuvres and they will be getting their first rides with their skis or snowboard on, on their first day. Whereas when you're learning on water, realistically, you're going to need three, four lessons before you're getting your rides and making it back to the beach. Yeah, I think one of the biggest misconceptions or the biggest images that I have of kiteboarding is you do it on fairly flat water where it's very windy kind of like down here at in Washington on the Columbia River, like that's kind of notable, which I've seen. But then you're talking about like being on a surfboard and using your kite to catch surfing waves. And then when I looked at your page, you can actually like use the kite to help tow you up the mountain and then ski down the mountain, almost like you're using it as a tow lift to get up the mountain. That is phenomenal. I think that's so cool that you can use the power of wind be able to just ski these normal slopes where it would unlock so much more terrain. Can you talk about maybe a story or like how has that influenced your your skiing and progressed that? Yeah, I would love to. Now, when you're learning to kite on water, well, on water, you're on actually the flats most of the time at sea level. And it's only when we get in the waves that we actually get a slope. And the bigger the wave, the steeper the slope bit of a fan of big waves myself because I love skiing big mountains and so when I discovered snow kiting you again you learn on the flats but then when I realized the kite could take me up a slope all of a sudden bells and whistles went off in my head and I went oh my goodness I can use this kite to actually tow me up the hill just like having a personal ski lift. Now, you need the right location to do this. A lot of people that are snow kiters tend to do it on frozen lakes. There's no mountains around. And those guys are going to be like the freestylers in the ski resort doing tricks and jumps and spinning around and riding rails, and they have a great time. But if your style of skiing is more riding big mountains like me, uh, then you can go to locations in France, in Europe. Uh, My favorite is Alaska, where we can actually kite up mountains, um, you know, to where the helicopters land. (laughs) I still remember the first time I ended up kiting up a mountain about 3,000 feet and getting to the summit and there was a helipad there. And I was just cheering, cheering that I was able to... um, to get myself up the mountain without hiking, without helicopters, or without a snowmobile. 
Yeah, that is so cool. Honestly, like using wind power to get up the mountain. Now, I didn't know this, but you can actually ski down the mountain while still having the kite out. You don't necessarily have to put that away. Is that correct? Yes, there's two different styles when you're, you're kiting up and down mountains. And it really depends on what sort of kite you've got. There's two styles of kites that people use. They're either going to use the inflatable kites that we pump up. They're the same ones that we use in the water and the waves. And they're designed so that if they crash on the water, they float. And you can water relaunch them off the water surface back into the air again. Now, those kites are designed to drift down the line if you're riding a wave. And that particular feature works really well on the mountains too. So if you've got a specific kite that has that drifting feature, it's an incredible feeling to use the kite to go up and then you just leave it in the sky and let it drift down the mountain as you get beautiful ski turns coming down without it yanking you off your turn. There are other styles of kite and they're called foil kites or they used to be known as ram air kite and they're not inflatable. They're actually normally a double skin or a single skin of fabric that when it launches up into the air, the wind fills the wing or the sail, and that's what holds its shape. Now, that particular kite, those things are fantastic in the backcountry. If you're a backcountry skier, that's what you're going to want to get because they're small, they're light, they fit in your backpack, and you don't need to carry a pump. They're also fantastic for riding up the mountain, and they're very, very easy to pack up on the top of a mountain. They have a, a feature called the re-ride feature, and it's designed for a summit pack down. So very safely, you can pull the safety line or release your safety. The kite will lose all its air, come down to the ground, and you can pull it back to your person, pop it in your backpack, and get a great ski run down. And then, then we would set that kite up again at the bottom and go back up for another run. So there's, there's really the two styles. They both work great. Just depends on what style of kite you've, you're using. Well, wow, that is so cool. I didn't know there was two styles of that, but I think it really unlocks more access to backcountry terrain. And honestly, using the, the power of wind to get uphill rather than using like lake power like you would in, say, a traditional like alpine touring type way. That's so cool. Now, I know with a lot of people trying to get out of the resort because it's a lot busier, there's going to be access to more of the backcountry. This does unlock, I would say, like more potential for people to get into places maybe where like physically they can't get into, but using the power of the kite they can get into. What is the cost look like to maybe not to learn how to do this, but at least just like for the material wise, if someone's maybe considering getting touring skis or ditching the resort and getting into it, what can they look at cost wise for buying the kite? I'm a huge advocate, Greg, for swapping lift lines for kite lines, seriously. And, and you can get a kite set up for cheaper than you can get a season pass at most resorts these days. So it is, is a swap over. You can start off, you know, on the lower end, starting with a trainer kite, which is around the $350 mark. You can get a four-line kite, which is going to get you cruising around at a beginner or low intermediate level for under $1,000. Once you get into those backcountry single skin kites that I was talking about, then we're up in that $1,000 to $2,000 mark, depending on the size of the kite that you want. Most people start out buying one kite for themselves to get going, and that will normally be the middle size kite that they end up with. 
that gives them a good wind range to practice in. But then if you're really getting into the sport and you want to go in higher winds or in lighter winds, you'll end up getting yourself a bigger kite for the light winds and you'll get a smaller kite for those stormy days, which are super fun when you get high winds and a, and a small kite. Oh my gosh, it's so fun. Wow, that's amazing. I think it's very interesting to one, look into the sport of kiting. And then like even within the, the sport of snow kiting, you have like the freestyle versus the race, kind of like you would even have like just traditional skiing. Can you talk a little bit about like your history in that and what that looked like for you? Yeah, I would love to, Greg. In fact, I just did a talk about which skis are best for snow kiting last night on my Windy Wednesday lives that I do. And I was talking about how we don't need to buy a specific ski for snow kiting. Whatever ski you've already chosen that suits your style of skiing, maybe you're a cross-country skier, you can use a kite with classic or skate skis if you've got a firm surface. Um, if you're a freestyler and you spend all your time in the park and doing tricks and jumps and you probably spend half your time going backwards, then you're going to want to use a twin tip and you're going to want to mount your binding in the middle because add a kite to it and you're going to be jumping higher than you've ever jumped before and spinning around doing grabs and all the all the maneuvers that you like to do. If you're a all-mountain skier and you love to cruise around the resort on-piste, off-piste, well, those all-mountain skis are going to be fantastic for snow kiting. They'll give you a great variety of, of snow surfaces that, that is fun. But then as soon as it gets deep and pow, what do we need in the resort? Or in the backcountry, we need a fatter ski. So if we've got powder snow out in the backcountry and we're wanting to go snow kiting, a fatter ski is definitely going to give us a little bit more float on the surface. So depending on whatever your style is in your normal skiing environment, that's probably going to be your style in your snow kiting environment too. Gotcha. Yeah. So basically you wouldn't need to get new skis, which is really helpful and, and saving money, which is awesome. Um, one question that I actually personally have is, you know, in the backcountry, obviously there's risk for avalanche and, and a big factor in that is obviously slope angle. Now, say you're flying a kite and you're in a 30 to 35 degree slope angle where kind of your avalanches are primed to trigger. What can you do? Or are there's is there safety measures like when you're doing that to help you either avoid the avalanche or um, that may be even safer than if you were just purely backcountry touring and going down a slope like that all to begin with? Love that question, Greg. I'm all about safety and, um, you know, having backcountry gear is really important. I just talked about skis, but having, um, you know, alpine touring bindings and having skins with you and a walk mode in your boots is definitely a huge advantage when we're snow kiting because we are out in the backcountry and if anything goes wrong, let's just say the wind dies or you crash your kite and it gets tangled, then you've always got a way, um, you know, to rescue yourself and, and hike out. We can cover a huge amount of ground with a kite. Um, we can seriously go for miles and miles and miles in a really short amount of time, um, and that can be too far to walk sometimes if you don't have the right equipment. Now, that being said, coming back to your question, because we can cover a lot of ground, we can actually cover multiple aspects on a mountain in a very short amount of time and so if you are going to take your snow kiting to the next level and take it off the frozen lakes and off the fields and and you start getting into 
what we call avalanche terrain, it's really important that you get your avalanche training, understand all your snow safety, and you want to be making a lot of those decisions before you even get to the mountain, Greg. Um, you want to be forecasting your wind, forecasting your snow conditions, and also forecasting the avalanche danger. So you should already have a bit of an idea by the time you get to your launch spot what the avalanche danger is. And um, by using your observation skills and looking around for signs of avalanches or signs of instability, um, that's going to be important. But just like we do if we're going backcountry skiing and we want to head up a mountain, it's really important that we, we test the slope. Now, it's difficult to stop when you're flying a kite and dig a pit. So we can do little hand pits and things like that and gather, gather some information. But what I like to do is, is actually just go and test a small slope, you know, um, that has low consequences and go and test it. Go and kite up it. Go jump on it just like we would, you know, um, ski cutting a slope before we ski down it. Um, you want to make sure that you can do some experimentation right, um, and make those decisions to make sure it's safe and not just do it on one aspect. You may need to do that on multiple aspects. As snow kiters, uh, we tend to play in wind on wind-loaded slopes quite a bit because we want to be where the wind is. So it's really important to not just learn your ski and your kite skills, but to really um, making sure that you are embracing learning all the backcountry and the avi skills that you need. Other things like um, as if I was going to skin up a mountain, I'm going to take the safest route, maybe up a ridge line. But as a snow kiter, we can only go where the wind allows us to go. And that may not necessarily be the safest line that you would choose if you were snow kiting. Um, we can also cut the slope from the bottom of the mountain. If we're tacking, like sailing, tacking up and down um, the slopes, essentially we're ski cutting at the bottom of a mountain, which could have huge consequences. Now, I was very um, lucky and grateful to work with Sarah Carter, who's head of the Valdez Avalanche Association in um, Valdez, Alaska. And she and I had multiple talks discussing the impact of snow kiters in avalanche terrain. And, and she actually wrote a paper for the ISSW, the International Snow Science Workshop, about snow kiting in avalanche terrain. And that is, um, that is part of the training that I give people when they come snow kiting with me up in Alaska. Um, and I'm always very happy to, to teach and share that snow kite specific mountain and avalanche training for, for snow kiters getting into that style of sport. That's cool. Uh, I didn't even know there was research done in that area, but if snow kiting is something that you're looking at getting into and you want to read a little bit about the, the risk um, of avalanche and snow kiting, I can link that article down below so that way um, it can be part of the decision-making process that you make when trying to get into something that's new. I want to take a short break in the episode to let you know about my Facebook group, Ski Habilitation. Ski Habilitation is a group I designed for injured skiers to ask questions and find support from others who have gone through the rehab process and successfully gotten back to the ski hill. I know how mentally challenging the rehab process can be, and I wish I had others around me to encourage me and help answer questions when I had my season-ending injury. It is my goal to help you stay injury-free so you can ski until you're 100, so come join the Ski Habilitation today and find out how others are setting themselves up to accomplish this. 
You can search for the Ski Habilitation Group on Facebook or click the link in the show notes. Thanks for your support of the Legacy Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. Now, Jen, I really wanted to talk about your injury in the snow kiting world. And I know obviously it's a huge bummer and you're currently going through the rehab process, but can you talk about kind of what happened with your knee and um, we'll kind of get into that story. Sure. Not my favorite story to talk about, Greg, but so far it's having a happy ending. And I'm so grateful to you for for helping me take all these steps to get back to the sport that I'm passionate about. Um, Now, I'm a very passionate snow kiter and I'm also very highly excitable. And knowing that about myself, um, it's really important to understand um, what they call in avalanche training as the human factor. And I remember February the 19th this year in Alaska, getting up to uh, Valdez. It's my first day playing on the mountain. It's blue sky. It's powder snow. I've got a brand new pink puffy steel jacket, and I am just so excited to get out there. Um, During that excitement, I overlooked a a few red flags that – that I really should have seen, and I'm still slapping my hair, slapping myself on the hand for it. But by admitting those mistakes and sharing them with you, I'm hoping that other people can learn learn from that. So the the um, the mistakes that I made was that I was driving um, a snow machine that day, and I a snow machine is what they call a snowmobile in Alaska, and um, those things are big, they're heavy, and I don't ride them all the time. And I had a great time for about four or five hours riding this snow machine around at sea level at the Valdez Glacier, exploring ice caves, hanging with my friends that I hadn't seen all year. And we were having a great time. Um, All of a sudden, the wind picks up and I get super excited to fly fly my kite. And so... um, that is what I did. I got my kite out, decided I would have um, a quick snow kite session, get some incredible photos, and um, I launched my kite. I was cruising around having a fantastic time, and all of a sudden, uh, my friend Rich was set up with the camera, and I decided I would carve a slightly more aggressive turn, slightly deeper turn into the powder in order to throw spray, as you do to get those fantastic photos. And as soon as I did that, I felt I felt my knee go. Um, it was a horrible feeling. I didn't actually hear a noise of something snapping, but I felt like the top half of my leg had disconnected from the bottom half of my leg and I knew instantly that something was wrong. At that point, I just sat down and I let go of the the kite, let go of the bar of the kite, and um, quickly evaluated what I was what I was going to do because now I'm uh, a long way from home, and I knew that I was going to have to re- you know rescue get uh, myself. Um, I was able to get myself um, over to my friend by using the kite to tow me and I was able to um, instruct him on how to land my kite. He'd never landed a kite before, so I gave him some instructions on how to grab it because I was unable to land it myself being injured 
and um, he was able to bring the kite back to me. I was able to pack it up and um, and he got me back to my snow machine. Now, during that time of trying to pack up my gear and trying to deal with everything, um, sidestepping with my skis on, I felt my leg go two more times um, out and back in. This just confirmed that, yes, I'd really done something bad. I didn't know what at the time. And um, and then I spent, you know, a painful half hour, hour. I have no idea. Time was really irrelevant in pain, in shock, and trying to ride the snow machine um, back to the road in order to um, get some medical help. Um, after the fact, I was able to evaluate what went wrong and I'd love to share that with you one was um, my legs and body being fatigued from riding a snow machine and not realizing I didn't feel tired I didn't feel sore Um, that can be that can be unfortunately one of the bad things about being fit and strong we don't tend to feel um, feel tiredness or leg burn things like that Um, the excitement of flying a kite, I probably should have called it quits and just had enough with one activity for the day, but adding a second activity in there. Um, but the biggest mistake I made was actually evaluating the snow surface, which is something I've just talked about, something I believe I'm good at. And when I'm in the mountains, it's something that I'm constantly thinking about. But as soon as I was at sea level, not in the mountains, on the flats, in fact, we were on um, top of a frozen lake that had snow on top. I I didn't see the red flag of the subsurface layers that was there on top of the ice. Now, we had so much snow in Alaska that all that snow, heavy snow, which was awesome power on top, um, was weighing down on top of the ice. And there was actually water pooling over the edges of the ice. And therefore, if you are uh, dug down a couple of feet you actually had water saturated snow the next layer up from that was was definitely slushy snow and uh and then of course you had this powder snow on top hiding the slush um and so I was fine while I was in the new powder on top but as soon as I went into that um subsurface layer that was thick um, my ski tracked one way and my knee went the other I was unable to turn the ski in that thicker snow so those were those were the mistakes that I made, and um, and I hope that anyone listening to this doesn't make those same mistakes that I did. Yeah, wow! Thanks for sharing that, Jen. I know it's like tough to kind of relive and process those emotions again, and like have that go through your head. Um, but very important to like see and reflect back on what you did wrong, because I think understanding what you did wrong so you don't make those mistakes again in the future is really important. Otherwise, you just are going to make the same mistake over and over and continue to get hurt, um, which is which is not ideal if you're trying to ski until you're in your 90s, like I'm sure you are. So, Of course I am. Of course I am. And I don't really feel like it was necessarily a specific kite injury or a ski injury. It, it was an injury caused by an environmental factor of the heavy snow um, so I'm not putting blame on anybody except myself on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's see, we're nine months later talking now and, um, the knee has been feeling pretty good. I know you went to get your first turns just the other day, just like at your local slope on, um, the groom terrain. And 
um, from our conversation, that went really well. But, you know, nine months of rehab is a really long time and we're not back to skiing, um, you know, at 100% yet. But obviously during that time, you're going to have your challenges. So um, I think anyone listening to this podcast, if you're currently injured, like you may be having some challenges as well. And I just wanted to allow Jen to maybe share either some of her challenges or share some of her strategies that she's used to get through um, the difficult rehab process. Yeah, Greg, I'd be lying if I said it's been an easy recovery. Um, it has not been an easy recovery on so many on so many um, levels. Uh, you've got the the physical recovery. Now it's been nine months, and the human body is amazing. We can grow a baby in nine months. So I'm I'm believing that my body has has grown all of the extra. Um, all of the extra strengthening stuff around my knee so that I can feel confident getting back into skiing. Um, the mental side has has been really difficult. Um, you know, the, the the mental side of being in Alaska when I did it and um, and hurting myself on the first day of a three month trip and making making those decisions of whether to stay in Alaska or whether to go home. Um, that was that was definitely a really hard one for me. And the decision of finding a good surgeon um, to make sure that I had the best chance of recovery. I think one of the best things that I did was to search out some other big mountain skiers who had also um, done their ACLs in the past and me seeing where they were at today skiing big mountains. My friend Greg Stafford, uh, the week I was looking for a surgeon, uh, posted and, and said, my first, big my first big mountain run in Alaska nine months after surgery. And now I'm at that nine month, month mark, not quite skiing big mountains in Alaska yet. But um, it really gave me that vision I needed to know that if I did all the right things, that I could get back to to my sport now those athletes that gave me that um that joy of the vision of getting back were half my age <laughs> and uh and I've had many many people remind me of of you know I'm in my 50s now I mean you might be in your 50s too and recovering from an injury and and how what standard of sport can I get back to you know, I really felt before, like before I hurt my ACL, I was in the top physical form of my life, fit, strong, and still competing in sport. Um, now, after doing the ACL, I was at a stage where I couldn't even walk upstairs. Was I ever going to be able to hike up a mountain again? I don't know. And I had two choices. I could get depressed and start believing that you know, my life as a professional skier and snow kiter was over, or I could just believe with every cell in my body that I could get back to what I wanted to do. I got the opportunity um, during my ACL recovery, I was asked to be part of a team of six women who planned to cross Greenland snow kiting 45 days from the south to the north. Now, that is a huge, huge mission. Um, and was I able to believe in myself, believe in my ability to even dream that I could be part of that team? 
Well, my answer is yes. Yes, I believe that I can be part of that team of girls. Yes, I believe I can cross Greenland. But by making that one commitment, that one goal that was so big, that was so scary, by making that one commitment, it made me realise that I needed to do everything I could um, to get my body fit and strong. And if I wanted to um, get back to skiing, I needed to find the best PT specialised in skiing that I could find. And Greg, that's when I found you. Wow, thanks so much, Jen, for saying that. That's so, so amazing. Um, I don't want to belittle the fact, though, of some a huge point that you just said and like setting a really big goal that maybe seems like it's unattainable. But like if you know you put the work in to achieve that, it's totally attainable. I think that's huge. So like if you are someone that has torn your ACL, go and book a trip for next year, like one year out from when you got injured and use that as your mark and say, hey, I'm going to go on this trip of a lifetime. And I'm going to do everything physically possible to make sure that when I go on that trip, I can enjoy every single day of that, like nothing happened previously. I think that's such a good idea. I, I think it's I think it's really good for people who are goal orientated and and love to set themselves something to work towards. I think that is is huge. One of the things for me, and I, I would love to quickly share that with you, that I can believe with every cell in my body that I'm going to be able to be fit and strong enough to ski across Greenland, is that I had an injury in the past. I had spinal surgery. And it put me out of action in the peak of my kite surfing career. And I had to do the same thing. I um, I had a, a spinal fusion in my L5-S1 and I couldn't walk for nearly 12 months. I definitely couldn't ski for nearly a year and a half. Um, but during that time, I set myself the goal of becoming the Australian female kite surfing champion in the waves and all I would do is dream of that moment and figure out what fitness what strength what did I have to do to get to that point and I'd love to share with you that four years after my spinal surgery I was crowned the Australian kite surfing champion at the age of 48 double the age of all the other women I was competing against and that was not just a trophy on my on my shelf now, but that is proof to myself and hopefully proof to anyone listening that we can set those big goals, we can achieve them. And that's giving me confidence now that I have had my ACL injury um, to do it again. Wow, that is so good, Jen. That is so good. <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, I, uh, I really appreciate you sharing your story and what's been helping motivate you and kind of sharing about kite, kite skiing. I think um, maybe this episode has sparked some interest in people that have never heard about it, but maybe they want to get into it. What is like one way to like find out how to get into the sport? Yeah, I would love to share that information with anybody who'd love to get into snow kiting. It wasn't very easy when I started, but it's so much easier now to get into the sport. Um, you need to go and find an instructor and get a lesson. And no matter whether you want to kite board on water or snow kite, normally that involves traveling to a location that has a really good school and a really good location that has consistent wind flow so that, you know, we can kite 
nearly every day of the week, right? Um, so that if you book a lesson, that you're going to get that time learning. Now, I'm a traveling snow kite uh, coach, so I, I teach people in Montana early season and Idaho. I also teach in Alaska. I go down to the Southern Hemisphere and also teach um, out of the Threadbow um, Kosciuszko um, Mountains in Australia. And um, there's other kite coaches all around the world that um, are passionate like I am. So find a school, find an instructor, um, have your first lesson, see if you like the experience, and then the next step would be to buy your own kite and um, learn enough skills from your instructor to be self-sufficient so that you can launch the kite yourself, you can land the kite yourself, and you've got enough knowledge to make smart decisions about whether the conditions, the wind and the snow surface, are, the are right for you at your standards. Um, so that risk assessment is is um, is really important. That's great. That's great. Now I know on your Instagram you've been posting a lot of super super cool information about kind of like what snow kiting is, but then also like some practicals for kite skiing as well. Would you mind sharing your Instagram handle so that way people can also like just use your social media to know more about the sport? Yeah, please, please come follow me. I'd love to have you on my page. So my handle is at Adrenagen. It's like Adrenaline Jenny, A-D-R-E-N-A-J-E-N, Adrenagen. And there you're going to find tips about snow kiting, inspiration if you're nervous about getting into the sport. There's entertaining clips there as well. And uh, you'll see this month that I'm all about women's snow kiting because that was how I learned was going to women's camps. And um, and so I love to give back to the sport, give back to, to my fellow women athletes out there by having that women's specific um, training camps where we get together and we dance with the wind and we dance together. It's super fun. Oh, so fun. So fun. Yeah, honestly, I would say even if you're not interested in snow kiting, go follow Jenny's account because trying to snow cross a kite in an entire country is a huge feat on her own. And I know she's going to be sharing updates for her training leading up to that. And eventually when she crosses the finish line, you'll be able to track her whole journey on there, which is so fun. Yeah. Thanks so much, Greg. Appreciate appreciate the plug. Yeah. Jen, before we go, I just want to give you a chance um, and the listeners a chance. If they wanted to end up like working with you at one of your camps in the future, what is the best way for them to like get in contact with you or to like book a reservation to work with you? Please uh, go and have a look at my website, adrenogen.com. There you're going to find lots of information about all the different locations that I run, private lessons, group lessons, or, or camps. Um, you'll also be able to see the kite shop and, and start shopping around for, for your favorite kite. And so I would start on my website, but please send me, send me a message by email or on social media, and I would love to chat snow kiting with you. Awesome, Jen. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks so much, Greg. I can't thank you enough for all of the all of the steps you're helping me with get back to my sport. Um, I, I just really like to recommend 
anybody out there who wants to get back to their skiing for working with Greg. You can learn so much on his Instagram, but if you want to take the next step like I did, I took that next step to work once a week with Greg online, and it's the best decision I made in terms of healing my body and getting back to uh, to my favourite sports. So thanks again, Greg. Can't thank you thank enough. Yeah. It's been a pleasure working with you, Jen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Legacy Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please share this podcast with your ski community and follow it so you don't miss another episode. Also, if you have a cool story and would like to be featured on the podcast, please reach out to the team. Lastly, if you're interested in working with me, you can book a strategy call at www.meettheskipt.com where I'll help you figure out the next best steps to keep you moving towards your journey of a lifetime of skiing.